ready for the weekend with Community Radio's premier sports show. Your new fix of Friday night sport. Welcome to the bench. Let's get that stuck straight into the issues. We don't balk from the local issues here at the bench and something that we have been following closely in recent weeks has been the initial decision then the backflip by AMP Capital the owners of the Macquarie Ice Rink in the Macquarie Shops Shopping Centre on the edge of our footprint in Ride uh, has been something we've been keeping a very close tabs on someone else who's been keeping very close tabs on that has been Bianca Nuccio from the Sydney Ice Hockey Bears the one of the two teams in the National Men's Ice Hockey League in this city I'm sure that everyone involved with both franchises, the Bears and the Ice Dogs, were breathing sighs of relief when that backflip announcement came. Bianca Nuccio from uh, the Bears is on the line right now. Good evening to you, Bianca, and welcome to your first appearance on the bench. It's great to have you on board. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Take us through the very brief uh, scenario and chain of events as they happened at your end, at your neck of the woods. When was the first you heard, or when was the first you got wind of the possibility of AMP Capital, the owners of the Macquarie Shopping Centre, ditching the ice rink? Uh, so pretty much the day news broke of it, we were informed, or I was informed in the morning. Um, we then started to put together our plan of attack. Obviously, as you can, we can imagine, there was a bit of a, a shockwave that ripped through not just the Bears, but also uh, the Dogs and the wider skating community as well. Um, I didn't think it was going to have such uh, as big an impact as it did. And I mean, I guess that was my mistake because uh, from there, it just sort of uh, rocketed through the community. So um, I guess our, our first step was to get on the front foot, kind of work out a plan. Uh, find out all the information first, rather, see what was actually going on and uh, when they planned to, uh, to end the lease and when they planned to actually uh, to knock down the rink. So that was sort of the initial, oh, my goodness, what's just happened uh, type reaction. And then, and then from there, it became really about rallying uh, our community. So, I mean, you guys all saw that petition. I believe the petition got up to, I think we're up to almost 35,000 signatures on the uh, on the community petition, so it was really about coming together with the wider the wider skating community and um, really banding together. So yeah, I guess in light of uh, of what was a uh, what I'm looking for, in light of a pretty destructive situation, it kind of really banded the community together. So that was a really nice positive to see all the disciplines really uh, working as one. How disappointing was it that? Um, in the typical uh, stealth operation that this sort of announcement was made from those in the corporate world that you didn't hear about it until it broke in the media? Oh, look, I mean, I was informed before it broke in the media, so... Um, but, not way, much, the, but not much before. Not you, much were, you weren't given weeks of notice, were you? Sorry? You weren't given much notice before it broke no, in the media, though. You, you, weren't given, you weren't told of the, the news weeks before it broke in the media. You were lucky to get it a day or hours before. Yeah, exactly. Look, I mean, it, it was disappointing. Um, that place is home, is home for us. I mean, the Bears were started in 82 at Macquarie Archer and we were the Macquarie Bears. So, obviously, it was devastating to hear and to hear that, you know, another large corporation was planning to, uh, to ruin uh, a community staple. Um, in saying that, though, I know that AMC have been uh, quite responsive in terms of um, uh, with the community response. So, I mean, they're not. It's a bad decision. I'll be the first one to say that it's a horrible decision to to, to move that ring to destroy that ring. Um, but at the same time, it's good to see now, especially with with the news today, that they're actually not going to make any other plans until they have one for an Olympic-sized last ring. Um, it's good to see that AMP really listened to the community. I mean, I don't think they were expecting the backlash, um, and it's nice to see that they've uh, kind of backflipped on their original plan, which was to not put any or if one a, rec- a recreational size rink. Here's the comment of uh, local member Victor Dominello uh, as far as that very point. That is AMP's response and quick response to uh, listening to the community. In, res- in regards to the petition. We still have it. I think AMP have come to the right decision. Uh, 
at the end of the day, ANP has to listen to both its shareholders, its stakeholders, and the community. And they've done that by ensuring that the Olympic-sized rink will remain a permanent fixture there at all. How important was it to get people like Victor Dominello on side, Bianca, through this uh, through this whole process? Oh, so important. I mean, um, having support from your member for Ride was instrumental. I mean, he was the biggest voice. He had his own petition running at the same time. He was really um, quite a big asset to bringing the community together, but also engaging the wider community. I mean, it's clear that um, no matter what, political side that you take um, he really became uh, a voice for for a lot of the, the people that were trying to voice now so I think it was great to have him on board um, again I, I give credit to Ride Council as well for listening to, to all of us and listening to the community as well holding a, an extraordinary meeting to you know Reevaluate to kind of see what they could do for that. I, th- I think it's just a great show of support, and to have that kind of support is fundamental in any campaign. Bianca, I'm, I'm interested to know because there, there's devil in some of the detail here that AMP have committed to maintaining an, an Olympic-sized rink at Macquarie. They haven't actually said word for word that they will not touch this rink. So do you have any idea if they were to go ahead and demolish the particular rink and then build another one elsewhere in the centre, what would be the turnaround time on building a new rink if they were to demolish this one and effectively relocate to another portion of the centre? Well, look, it wouldn't be quick. Um, and part of the battle that we face now, I mean, it, it's great that they've committed to it, but uh, there's a couple of uh, uh, outstanding queries, especially the hockey community will have, especially with the AIHL, and that the big one will be, um, what about grandstand seating? Uh, we obviously need an Olympic-sized ice rink, or at least an NHL-sized ice rink, um, but we also need the capacity to support the you know, the 1,800 fans that we get at the Derby game. You know, so the battle is definitely uh, not won just yet. Um, and again, the turnaround time, that's the other big issue as well that we'll have to, to, to come across. Not issue, but the hurdle, I guess, will be will they keep the current rink and, and while they are building the new one for the same, same location? Because I don't know the answer to those questions. I do know that the turnaround time would be, uh, would be quite, especially if it's as part of, their development, so I imagine it could be in a later stage of a development, which could be, oh my goodness, what, like five years before they even think about building the rink? So, I mean, there are still questions that we need answered, and um, hopefully it doesn't affect our upcoming season. That's, that's what we're sort of praying for at the moment, is whatever decision they come to, it's not going to displace us from a home. <laughs> An important point that you touched on was not just the importance of the rink to the ice hockey community, but also to the general community at large. Here's Victor Dominello again on that very point. Well, this is a pivotal victory, not just for our local community and for recreational facilities, but for Olympic sports, because we don't have a lot of Olympic-grade facilities that cater for ice skating or um, speed skating or figure skating or ice hockey. Uh, so it's critical to have these type of facilities. Well, firstly, starting from that point, you've just touched on that already, Bianca, that if there was a five-year gap between AMP demolishing the current rink and then building another one, that would knock back not just the ice hockey community, but all the other sports and also the social and uh, casual uh, skater uh, or skating community for that five-year period. And that could be almost terminal for some of these sports and some of these communities in Sydney? Oh, 100%. I mean, uh, like Peter um, Domelo said in, in that clip that you just played, we don't have a lot of facilities for ice sports in Sydney, um, or Australia for that matter. I mean, we have a brand of arena down in Melbourne, but really, if you're, if you're a New South Wales athlete, then you, you want a facility in New South Wales that will provide what you need. By not having the rink, it, it it'll it'll crush not just not just the hockey community. It'll crush figure skating. It'll crush speed skating. Um, from a wider community perspective, I skated at Macquarie when I was younger. That's how I got into figure skating. That's how I sort of started 
my skating journey and it's how so many other kids, not just in the Macquarie and surrounding areas, but all across Sydney. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a ride local. I, I'm from outside of ride and we travel. Um, so I think it, it, it's a detriment to, to not just the sporting world, but to, to community as well. All right, then. Two more things before we get down and talk a bit of bear stuff because we've got an announcement that we can make on that before we wrap up uh, uh, this segment tonight, which we're very excited about here at Triple H. But how hard now is it to maintain business as usual uh, in the Bears organisation with this just floating around as a very large elephant in the room? Um, look, we've kind of all resigned ourselves that it's going to be an uphill battle. Um, in saying that, though, we start planning for upcoming seasons well in advance um, prior. So we were lucky enough that we've got a pretty diligent uh, executive committee that works tirelessly behind the scenes to sort of get things in place. We're trying not to let it affect us. We're trying to give the fans an even better season than what was last year. That's what that's always been our um, our philosophy. Is you know constantly improving, constantly. How can we make it better? How can we make it bigger? You know, I mean, our coach has been working hard to get imports and they're going to be phenomenal this year. Our Aussie guys are working even harder. So I don't want fans uh, to think that we're not giving 150% into this upcoming season because that's not the case at all. We are. We're ready to go. We came so close last year in the grand final. Um, to narrowly lose in overtime was absolutely heartbreaking. It's just sealed our fire to really make this season count. Um, I, I want to look at it as, you know, this may be our last season. I don't, I don't want to set it in stone because it definitely might not be. But the way I'm looking at it is that if it is going to be our last season, then we're going to give it something. We're going to give Macquarie something to remember and, uh, and our fans something to remember. Um, so it definitely hasn't hindered any planning. We're still working just as hard. We're just sort of doubling our efforts by adding this on the side as well. What about the local discussion in the community? How important is it to keep it going after the state election on March 23? Because as we all know, and we've, we've all seen in the past, um, there's going to be heightened uh, interest in it from both sides of politics that are chasing votes in the lead-up to the state poll and then the drop-off after that. What's, yeah, look, the, what's the planning and keeping the pressure and maintaining the rage after March 23? It's, like I said, it's going to be an uphill battle and we need, we need the support of our community behind us and I don't doubt that, that they won't stand behind us like we're going to battle and that's essentially how we have to, how we have to play it. Um, come the elections, we are just going to make sure that we're still pushing because I don't want, oh, we're going to go into service and it's such a great sort of finish. That it's not... And it won't be. Um, it's something that's going to be ongoing and it's going to be tiring and it's going to be, you know, the effort is going to have to be even more than 100%. It's just going to be a constant and that's what we're going to maintain throughout the season. We're going to lead by example. Uh, the executive committee is going to keep going. We're going to keep pushing and keep charging and we're going to lead our community behind us to do the same thing. Speaking of the community, for those of you that have just joined us, this is uh, uh, The Bench, Friday night, Triple H 100.1 FM, a special discussion in regards to the future of the Macquarie Ice Rink. There's been a lot of toing and froing about uh, the initial uh, in intentions of the owners uh, of the Macquarie Centre, AMP Capital, to demolish the ice rink. There's been a backflip, a guarantee of an Olympic ice rink, but as we mentioned, the devil is in the detail. This is the member for Ride, Victor Dominello. One last thing about how important it is to the history of our local area, the Macquarie Ice Rink. Well, I've been in the Ride community for 51 years now, and I can say that it is an integral part of our community and the broader community across Sydney and New South Wales. There's a lot of fond memories that have occurred on that rink, whether it's the first date, marriage proposals, Christmas parties, birthday parties. Uh, and that means that the memories we've had in the past can now be secured. Well, let's hope that that is the case. Speaking of which, Bianca, what uh, discussions have you had with 
the Labour Party candidate Alan Mascarenas uh, uh, for Epping and other candidates from the other side of the fence. Any discussions at all? Any uh, reaction at all uh, to this situation in the lead-up to the March 23 poll? No, not from us. We've uh, only had contact with uh, Mr Don Mello on, uh, on the state of the rink. Um, we're more than willing to sort of have conversations with all parties. I think uh, if they really want to sort of get their votes up and get in touch with a, a community that's going <laughs> to go to battle for them and really push for them, then uh, you'll want the hockey community behind you because uh, there are a lot of people there and these two teams, us and the dogs, do have quite a bit of uh, influence over that, obviously. So... Um, yeah, so no, no other conversations other than uh, with uh, with Mellon. That's a case in point. Hopefully someone is taking note of that. 30,000 signatures on a petition uh, can't be wrong. All right, I'm going to ask you one last thing before we get stuck into the actual season itself because it's not too far away for the Bears. What is the nuclear winter option? If things turn out for the worst and we have a five-year gap, where do the Bears go? Um, we, I, I don't really, to be honest, I don't really have a comment on that at the moment because that's not a bridge we've come to cross yet. When, when answers do solidify, we will start looking at, at options in the past. I mean, the Bears have sort of always had a bit of a nomadic sort of lifestyle. We're not like the dogs in the sense that they were established as the Western Sydney team and played out of Liverpool. We were established at Macquarie, so we travelled a lot. We played out at the now closed Sydney Ice Ring in the Northwest. We played out at Penrith Ice Palace. So we've had plenty of different homes over the last. Uh, well, I've been with well, Canterbury's not up to the to the standard. It hasn't been for a heck of a long time now. The boards there could barely take my weight, let alone the weight of about uh, you know uh, yeah. hul- <laughs> hulking hulking twenty seven players in a in, in an ice rink. That would have to be. Uh, fortified with uh, Force 9 concrete, to be honest with you, to get that up to standard. Um, so, so that does make it hard, doesn't it? We are, yes, it definitely does. Um, but like I said, I uh, I can't really provide a comment because we're definitely taking that as a as a bridge that will come across. And as that time gets closer, then we'll start making decisions. All right. Speaking of decisions, let's go to decisions a lot more closer to home. Keith Topolsky is with me, of course. My name is Tony Dosen, the Sultan. 29 past 6, Triple H 100.1 FM. This is The Bench on Friday night. Special guest Bianca Nuccio from the Sydney Ice Hockey Bears as they prepare for another National Ice Hockey League season. So close last year in the grand final, Keith. And now with this question mark over their home um, so motivated to go one step further this year. Very motivated and it was heartbreaking to see the 4-3 loss in overtime against the Brave the, the team went into last season basically written off because a large number of players had actually gone to the Sydney Ice Dogs and that's something I wanted to ask about Bianca in terms of the recruiting of obviously the imports is still a work in progress until the league starts in April but have there been any Australian players sign on as yet that have come across from other clubs for this season? Uh, not as of yet. Um, so at the moment we uh, are still in the process of getting our current Aussies uh, registered and signed up, but no other players would have come from other clubs this year. Do we have any departures at the moment? Um, no, not at this stage either. We're keeping the same uh, Aussie squad uh, provided that, you know, come tryouts that they will make the, the final team. So, with the nucleus of the team still in place from last season, where is the where is the focus going to be based on the imports? You're looking for some uh, security on the blue line, or you're looking for a bit more scoring prowess up front? Yeah. So, one of our our imports, Ryan Angley, he has been with the team for this will be his third season um, with the team. Uh, he's our our import team. So. Definitely is looking to, to secure another D as an import, but then having two forwards up front, we're quite lucky. We have an advantage over the other teams in the league in the sense that we have the best goalie in Australia who's Australian, so it frees up another import spot. So basically what that means is that we can afford to have uh, to bring in two forward imports and then also secure the blue line with, uh, with another defenseman. 
Where where do you see the big threats coming from this season? Obviously, the Bravers, the defending champs, but the North Stars really did take a hit last year. The Melbourne Ice had that they had a complete stinker of a year. They completely dropped off the face of the earth. Do you see the Ice and the North Stars coming back this season, or do you think that the the tide may be turning in terms of who are the real heavyweights in the competition and who has to make up the numbers? Look, I think the tide turns every year, and I, I, it does depend on uh, on what clubs secure what imports. Um, I, I don't know, it's tough to say. I mean, I'd like to think that we're now considered the major threat. I mean, considering that everyone did write us off last year, but at the same time, everyone can write off Melbourne Ice, everyone can write off the North Stars for, for next or this upcoming season, and they can turn around and, and make the grand final too. So that's the beauty of our league is that it's very hard to predict which teams are going to end up in that top four because you just you just don't know. So I, I'd i like to say that the ice and the north stars won't be a threat. So obviously that makes our position uh, a lot higher. But, um, yeah, that's tough to say. But. First game of the season is technically a road game, even though it's still going to be Macquarie because the Ice Dogs are going to be deemed the home team. Your first technical home game is going to be a grand final rematch. Are the players already getting edgy about that or is it just something that's in the back of the mind to consider later on? No, they're hungry. They're ready to go. I mean, um, and like I said, it was, it was absolutely heartbreaking when when that buzzer went on the final game last year. Um, there's no tension, there's no anxiety about the upcoming season. There's just uh, sheer determination. Now, in, in terms of... The, the impact of the imports, who do you think are the teams that are going to have the best uh, impact in terms of bringing the imports in? But because, as you say, with, with the, with the ad- addition of Anthony Kimlin in net, you can go out and acquire some D, acquire some forwards, whereas most teams are going to have to bring a goalie in. Which teams do you think are going to have the most benefit from those imports coming in? Um, well, look, I mean, Canberra and the CBR Braves always bring in some quality imports, and I mean, it shows. Um, so they're definitely probably the biggest threat in the league, but then at the same time, Perth Thunder also has some super quality imports that come out every year. So to, to, to me, those would probably be the two top ones, would be the CBR Braves and the Perth Thunder. Um, but then, again, in saying that, I mean, the Melbourne Ice in the past have brought out some stellar guys in terms of the North Side, so... It really depends on uh, which guys, A, want to come out and play in Australia and uh, to play in our league. But at the same time, it also... There's a lot of other factors that go into it. They could be the best hockey player in the world, but if they don't deal with the team that they're on, then, you know, it doesn't... There's no synergy there. And I think uh, with, like, with anything sport, having that synergy is really important. So that's always been a focus, I know, from with our coach. He's always liked to bring in guys that not only a killer on the ice, but uh, a good locker room guy as well. So, yeah, I guess it, it depends. Hopefully hopefully the other teams get some guys that uh, don't really work well in the locker room and are pretty average on the ice. Speaking of which, uh, how far down the track? You mentioned that uh, uh, you haven't got the, the imports um, sorted out yet. How far down the track are you with that? Knowing that the season is still got a little bit to go before uh, the first uh, before the first game? Uh, yes, yeah, so that'll be probably the best question for for our coach. But I do know that nothing's been locked in just yet. I can I can let fans know that. Um, but there are negotiations that your coaches did. That, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So our coach does all the negotiations. It also depends on if the guys are playing their season. So we have to sort of factor that in as well. How late they're going to be coming into our season? If they are, so it depends if they're in the next playoffs or what they go with that is. Um, but there are definitely uh, some negotiations in play at the moment. Um, and I do know that the guys that we're looking at are going to be phenomenal. So it's going to be a very exciting season. And I think uh, these guys work really well with, with the audience that we have. So we can expect an announcement in the next three weeks, four weeks, oh, look, month I'm or so? Definitely by mid-March, we'll sort of start having some, uh, some answers on that uh, on report. All right. Now, speaking of announcements, that's a good sense way to an announcement that we can make here at uh, Triple H. This is uh, so hot off the press that um, the paper is still smoking uh, on which this uh, in-principle agreement has been drawn up on. The paper is smoking. I can smell the smoke. Um, As long as it doesn't get to those splinters, then we'll have the bench on fire. But we are proud to say, Keith, that 
we have an agreement in principle mm-hmm. with the Sydney Bears uh, to be pretty much close to their radio partner for this upcoming 2019 Australian Ice Hockey League season, which will also include the possibility to be confirmed in coming weeks of live Australian Ice Hockey League broadcasts from Macquarie Ice Rink on selected Friday nights during the 2019 season. And that's something I know you're excited about. I know that's something that Anthony the Bull Caruso, the godfather of the bench, is excited about because he's been angling for that for God knows how long. And I know, Bianca, that's something that you at the Bears are excited about. Absolutely. I mean, uh, one of the one of the big things that every team in the AIHL looks for is uh, how we can get the good uh, the good game of ice hockey out to as many people as possible. So, um, definitely having you guys on board is going to be going to be wonderful for, for us, and it's going to be great for for ice hockey in general. Now, Keith, we the, the the details are going to be nutted out in in coming weeks, and we've still got time before the start of the season, and uh, uh, we won't be able to call every game because of the the time slot being Friday nights generally, and some Saturday nights and other programs. But we are going to make a point of picking out key games, call them marquee games if you like, and uh, calling them live during the season. That is certainly something we're working towards and that, that's something that still has to be, as you say, the, the, the Kings have to be ironed out and the T's crossed and the I's dotted, but you, you've given you've given guys like Dom and Bull and myself chances to call rugby league play-by-play, and I think even Mearsy had a crack at play-by-play, so the idea of being able to get on Triple H and call hockey play-by-play is something that's got me really fired up. Absolutely. We're really looking forward to that. So watch this space. Watch the Facebook bench, uh, the, the bench page on Facebook. And also uh, keep an eye out on the various social media outlets that the Bears have. They'll be up to date with developments as they take place in coming weeks and particularly which games we will agree to, to, to call. Um, certainly, probably off the top of the head, Let's just say Keith and Bianca, the local derbies, maybe the grand final uh, rematch against the Brave um, are the first cabs off the rank that come to my mind for those live descriptions. That would certainly be something that I'd be looking at. A local derby is an absolute must. Newcastle North Stars, the CBR Brave have some travelling fans as well, so we'd love to get in on that. Bianca, I'm sure we're excited about that. To get even even two of those three games that I've just mentioned live on air on a on a Friday night or even on a Saturday night, depending on which way the draw is. Yeah, it would be like you said. There are some things. It would be something that the uh, the AIHL rather would have to agree to first. But uh, yeah, if we can sort of get that going, that would be uh, great to have sort of people actually hear what uh, what goes on at the ice hockey game because I'm sure everyone's seen. Uh, Mighty Ducks and all the other great films out there about hockey, so they kind of know the the general gist of it. But to get more awareness is is great for us. And uh, you know, our tickets are already up online, and so our season passes. So we're ready to go. We're ready to get people packed out at Macquarie and try and get to the game and to listen in. That'll be uh, not just as good, but uh, a better alternative. I tell you what, Bianca, when you mentioned the Mighty Ducks, <laughs> Matt Mears has gone up. Both arms raised in the air. He's about to do a lap at the studio in triumph at the mere mention of the Mighty Ducks. Just don't mention the Mighty Ducks to Keith, but... Uh, Flying V is offside. Please. I don't care, Keith. It's Unless the movie. The but I'll Flying be there v first game offside. wearing my Charlie Enough. Conway jersey. Enough, Bianca. See what I have to deal with as soon as <laughs> the mere mention of the words Mighty Ducks. The mere mention sends these guys into states of apoplexy. All right, then. Look, uh... Uh, so, so for those, you've got the uh, the tickets already on sale online on your website for those home games. Head to bestshop.com.au to get uh, all your season passes and tickets. Indeed. All right, and we look forward to calling some of those games, depending on what is coming up in uh, those negotiations. Look, many thanks for your time, Bianca. We could go on uh, for a little bit longer, quite a bit longer on a lot of these issues, but time has beaten us. We will catch up in coming weeks, and uh, when the season starts, it will certainly be a, an important part of our Friday night bench program. Many thanks for your time, Bianca, and on behalf of all of us, good luck in Thank the ongoing fight 
with the powers that be and with the corporate world on keeping the Macquarie ice rink uh, alive and in place for not just now, but for many, many generations to come. Thanks for your time on the bench tonight. Thanks for having me on, guys. Bianca Nuccio from the Sydney Bears, Australian national ice hockey team. You're listening to The Bench, Triple H 100.1 FM. It's now 18 to 7. We'll be back with more after this. We've got a gentleman online who can shed some light on that. He sat in this studio at the start of this season before a ball was bowled quietly confident about the UTS North Sydney Bears doing some damage in the uh, Sydney Belvedere Cup Premier First Grade competition this season. Here we are, we've turned for home, we're four rounds out from the finals and the North Sydney Bears are sitting in fourth place, snugly in the top six with their own destiny in their own hands and this man has scored a poultice of runs this season, over 700 runs in first grade at a whopping average of around 78. He's a good friend of this program, Adam Crosswaite. He's online now. Good evening to you, sir. You must be delighted with the way things have panned out for the Bears, particularly since Christmas. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, yeah, I, we are, and uh, I think you both know us. Uh, over North Sydney uh, Bears population, a bit of an apology, actually. So, no, we're, we're sitting pretty at the moment, looking good. All right, well, you can fire away and uh, we, are, we are more than happy to give out brickbats but also happy to give out bouquets when they are warranted. And uh, look, we are more than happy to see them come through. But now, with a month to go before the finals, um, it almost starts again, doesn't it? Yeah, look, it does. It's, um, this is something that, uh, yeah, this group of guys hasn't been in this position um, often, which is, I guess, what we were alluding to at the start of the year. But, um, yeah, now we've got ourselves in a position. We're sitting fourth. Uh, now I think top three is where is where your eyes have got to go to in a home home final. So that, that's where our our eyes are at. Um, but obviously, first and foremost, is getting past. We've got Uni New South Wales this weekend at North Sydney Oval, and... Um, they, they've got some really dangerous players, and uh, David Dawson um, batting on North Sydney Oval is never a, a good thing to go to bed uh, on a Friday night thinking about. So, um, well, yeah, well, we have to play well. Well, we'll concentrate on other things you can think about, and that's 754 runs at 75.4 for yourself. Um, hard to believe that as recently as a couple of years ago, you were thinking about giving the game away and just playing one day as only, but new lease of life and um, if there was sides picked on merit and form up the line which we unfortunately now know is not the case, um, your name would be up there in lights for higher honours but again you've scored all those runs and that boat has sailed, what do you feel about that? Uh, yeah look it's it's disappointing. I, I definitely haven't um, retired from first-class cricket or I haven't retired from cricket. So, um, yeah, it's always always good to make some runs and you always want to get picked. I, I've been, I guess, trying to play for New South Wales for 10 years and it um, hasn't quite happened. And, and that's, that's fine. It's, I don't pick the teams. and It's tough as a player, though. But, um, yeah, it, it's disappointing. I think it's a big breakdown over the last decade in Australian cricket. Um the players getting picked, I think they all want everybody to play 100 test matches, which, as we know, a good 100 test player probably comes around twice or three times if you're lucky in a in a decade. And um, I just seem to think that we, we push it a little bit too much at the moment and um, and we're sort of, we're hurting. So, yeah, I think it's definitely got to be looked at um, in the cricket ranks around the country. What about... Tom Jaggett's form since Christmas. I mean, the man is on fire. He's averaging 165, two centuries, not outs everywhere. He is seeing them like watermelons at the moment. He is, mate, and he is a kid who, who definitely deserves a, an opportunity. He's got um, 100 last week, the week before. He was, he's obviously a standing captain at the moment while Justin Avendano's away, and, and he declared on himself or... or called the game closed when he was 91 not out um, against Manly which is um, which probably just shows the the character of the of the man just wanted to win the game and get off and um, he's, a, he's a bit of a selfless guy like that so uh, 
I think the rest of us were all sitting there going, mate, you can keep batting for a couple of overs, get your 100 and then walk off. Um, but no, this, this kid has to play second 11 and I think he's in the mould of a, a Nick Larkin type of player that can play a lot of shield cricket for, for New South Wales, that's for sure. 685 runs at 68.5 in all competitions. That's the record uh, overall. But since since January 1, it's 330 runs at 165.5 in three digs with, a, with uh, you know, two centuries uh, outstanding. And uh, yourselves and perennial run scorer Nick Burtis, who we've discussed also on this program at length, have uh, cleared out from the rest of the field as far as the leading run scorers and average earners in Sydney grade cricket is concerned. For the record, Nick Burtis has 770 runs at 85.56, and there's no sign of the door opening for him anytime soon. Now, you meant it's, it's remarkable. Let's go to this match tomorrow. At this stage, the forecast is 70% chance of showers, so... It's an iffy proposition whether you get on, although North Sydney Oval, Bear Park, is still one of the best draining grounds in Sydney. People have been waiting for the Bumblebees bubble to burst. Uni of New South Wales started so well, they led it Christmas, but, you know, Matt Gilks has been called up in and out at the Thunder, and David Dawson's form has been up and down, and since January 1, they have almost hit the wall. You've got an opportunity to really put them out of contention for the finals over these next two days, a Saturday-Sunday game at Bear Park this weekend. Yeah, look, I guess they had a they had an outstanding start, and um, they're, they're a dangerous side. I've, we definitely don't take these guys lightly, and um, yeah, someone of the class of David Dawson has scored so many runs at, at grade level, as I said before, you, it, it shudders when you think that he's going to battle North Sydney Oval, so we know we've got our work cut out, and um, but if we can play well, I think that uh, we're in good form. We're we're sort of pushing for seven in a row, which is um, which is a great effort, and we've got a really good feel around the group. So, um, and, and I think we're keeping a pretty level head. There's um, there's a lot of excitement around, but the, the boys are doing the work and and they're ready to go. So, uh, yeah, we're looking, looking forward to it. The rain. I, I've never been a big weather watcher. I know that there's a lot of people that are, but. It's, um, yeah, we'll see what happens tomorrow and we'll just deal with whatever we get. What about uh, Todd Harper? Tell me about how important he's been. Um, because a lot of people have said, oh, yeah, the crossweights have come across and Alexander's and all of this. But for mine, the attitude and the um, hard-nosed uh, professionalism that Todd Harper has brought to that North Sydney club is probably one of the great unsung stories of the summer so far. I know you've worked him in for a heck of a long time. Um, it must be that must do your heart some good to see some of these players that haven't had the Harper polish have it applied to them. Well, that's it. I, I think that there's a lot gets made of um, different players around the club and different people that are around the club and. And at grade cricket, it's, it really is about the volunteer people, the people who give up their time week in and week out. It's just, it's amazing. Someone like Todd, the, the passion that he brings to, to the club and the organisation that he brings to the club um, is outstanding. And it's, uh, Todd is just one of a, a number of people around that club who, who are really passionate about it. And uh, the, the way that the way that someone like Todd goes about his work and about um, his dedication to the club is is outstanding because he's been a yeah I think everyone around North Sydney knows that the best off season signing was Todd Harper so it's um we've yeah we, we love him down there and it's uh and it's great and he's actually debuting in fifth grade this week which is um, oh, which the boys are the boys are ecstatic about so we don't actually have him at the ground at first grade this week so he's um we're He's making his debut. He's been knocking blokes over in the nets all year, and he's he's got his uh, he's got his chance. So um, yeah, we're we're all eager to see what he can do. Look out! The scores from Tunks Park will be absolutely uh, intriguing when 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 the, when those bumblebee kids appear down at Tunks Park. <laughs> And they see. I'm back in a little three for thirty, I think. <laughs> oh well, Todd will want five for twenty just quietly. But anyway, um, what about uh, before we go into the other games in the round this weekend? Um, a lot's been made. Yes, the runs have come from yourself, from from your brother, and from Avendano and Tom Jagged. But what about the Bears' attack? Um, they've had the luxury of a lot of runs to bowl at this season, but they've still done the job. 
Yeah, look, I think James Campbell's probably one of the most underrated bowlers in the comp, to be honest. But I think the batters around the the batters around the comp um, that come up against us, they know that we've had. He's been outstanding. We've had Toby Lester uh, from Lancashire, obviously, out this season again, and he's been. He hasn't got the wickets, but he's he just kept um, unbelievable pressure on. And then the, I think the the one who's the unsung hero, which I. I'm really confused about it. Is is, is Matthew Alexander? I think um, he's knocked over. He's got five for last week. He got four for the week before. Um, and no one discusses him. No one discusses him, and it's always been a bit strange. He's a big left-hander. He slings him in, um, which is extremely difficult to play white ball cricket, T20, and one-day cricket. Um, it's bizarre that that New South Wales haven't looked at someone like him, especially for the Thunder or the Sixers. Because he hits 115, 120-metre sixes, throws the ball harder than anyone in the comp and has the best economy rate going around. But what, what do we know? We only play with them every week and see these guys all the time. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah sometimes it's difficult to, to knock on the right doors. But, yeah, this kid's a, a very special talent and a, and a really tough cricketer. You don't need to be apologetic about calling it as you see it. I mean, you know, I mean, we're happy to apologise here just quietly, but we call it as we see it as well, and sometimes there isn't enough of that around cricketing ranks. Let's have a look at the rest of this round because it's still such a tight competition. I can't remember a Sydney first-grade competition that has been as tight as this for so long now. We're still any one of... 12, 13, 14, 15 sides can entertain thoughts of making the finals a month out from the playoffs. Starting with the match at Bankstown Oval, the bubble may have burst for the Randy Peets without Dee Warner, and uh, this Randy Peets side have the task of going to Bankstown Oval to play the Bulldogs. Yeah, look, I, I think it's, it's been a tough one for Randwick. I think they're, they're a great side. They had Warner at the start of the year. Um, they had Bell Drummond at the start of the year, um, two international class players. Um, when you lose guys like that, then you've lost, I guess, Sam's into the, the big bash as well. Um, but it's, when you take, I think we're seeing it with the Australian team, right? We take a couple of the best players out of any team and you, and you struggle. So um, they're, they're, they've got some good young batters and they're a good young side. So, so they'll always be there and thereabouts. But I think Bankstown are a, a pretty formidable side and... Um, that, that should be a really good game, actually. At Raby Oval, speaking of affordable sides and hard-nosed competitors, and by gee, uh, uh, what we could write uh, the way you and Jared Burke have crossed swords over the years could fill war and peace. But uh, Campbelltown host Fairfield Liverpool. Um, Campbelltown, of course, has still got this uh, uh, groundsman gate uh, affair hanging over their heads from the last home game at Raby. You can bet your life the groundsman will be there at maybe crack of dawn tomorrow to make sure that the pitch is ready for a 10.30am start, particularly against the Fairfield side that, on paper, they probably should be. Yeah, well, that's it. And look, Jared, Burke, Jared Burke and I have had a, uh, a, yeah, some run-ins over the years, but he's actually a good mate of mine. I played a lot of cricket with him as a junior. and uh, he's, I, I think if you talk about dominant people within Sydney grade cricket over the last 10 years, Jared Burke has to be the number one. Um, he's taken so many wickets. He's made hundreds in grand finals. He's been a premiership captain. He's taken um, these guys from last to first last year. Um, I, I can't speak highly enough of someone like Jared. And, uh, yeah, I, I think he'll get his, uh, his boys over the line. Now, at uh, Waverley, interesting contest here. The uh, shock improvers since Christmas, Western Suburbs, who have come up with two upset wins the last two weeks to get to the edge of the six, uh, face another stiff test as they take on Eastern Suburbs, who will still have Peter Neville, who will still have Sam Robson, and who will still have hum- uh, um, and will still have Young Hunt at the top of the old order, even though they don't have Baxter Holt. Yeah, that's it. I think you, you look at that East side, and it's a it's an extremely good side that can. Yeah, can knock over anyone, really. Um, but, yeah, West, West is a great story, and I think that what they're doing, even without... Um, captain Cook? Without their Captain Cook is, uh, yeah, is exactly right. So it's, uh, and, and Cook's an exceptional player, and I think they've got some good young kids down at, um, at West, and it's great to see them winning some games. At Manly Oval, it's hard to believe that 
Manly are still running last in the Belvedere Cup competition. I suppose some would say you reap what you sow, but that's another story for another day But uh, and another debate, maybe a splinters episode in its own right sometime. But uh, Cameron Merchant's side devastated with a lot of players missing. Uh, take on Gordon, who uh, will be looking to inflict more pain on the Waratahs. Yeah, look, it's uh, as obviously an ex-manly boy. It's never good to see to see a side at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the table. But look, they've got some really good players, and um, obviously Cameron Merchant, while coming back from his little stint on Married at First Sight, he's, um, <laughs> I wasn't going to uh, mention that, but yes, hopefully he's got his his head switched on, which I'm sure he does. He, he batted beautifully the other week against us at North Sydney, and uh, yeah, look, Manly are hurting, but I'm sure they're a proud club, and they'll they'll hit back. Gordon, uh, Gordon are an exceptional side, and I think always sort of pushing. So, and Charlie Stobo's back from his injury worries, and he's always a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, Stobo's a class player, and uh, Harry Evans is a, is an exceptional bat. So, I think the Manly boys are going to have some trouble with this one. But um, yeah, look, hopefully they can, hopefully they can get up. As it's uh, yeah, I've still got a soft spot for them, although they're uh, didn't last. Yes. Cameron Merchant, married at first sight. All I'll say is this, what were you thinking? All right, at at Allen Border Oval at Mossman, uh, look, the Wales, Scott Rogie, back in the runs last week. uh, They take on uh, a Blacktown side with a lot of youngsters and Jordan Gauchy now starting to get into the runs in not only grade, but also Pointer and Grey under-21s as well. Yeah, well, Gauchy's a a super player. He got 100 against us at the start of the year and um, well, I think he's a really good player. I've always thought that Scott Rogers is one of the best players in the in the competition, and I think Mossman will be too strong there. Um, they've really hit a purple patch, and um, Ash Dool and the keeper at, at Mossman, I think, is um, is doing an exceptional job and making some runs. And uh, Young Fawcett as well, getting a hundred the other week was, um, yeah, they're they're a dangerous side, Mossman. So um, I'm always surprised to see them where they are. They I think they should be higher. So. But I think they might get over Blacktown. The most intriguing game of the round between two sides that need to win, otherwise uh, their season is probably over. We go to the bike track. That is Hurstville Oval with a nice pitch on the inside. And St George host the Northern District Rangers. And uh, the Rangers, you saw them at very close quarters last week. Um, Their batting is still, I think, their Achilles heel. Um, they fought hard last week, but 270 was always going to be hard to to run down on that very good Mark Taylor over wicket. Yeah, look, uh, Andy's of um, uh, I think Benny Davis is batting as as well as I've ever seen him bat. Um, and he was. But he doesn't have a lot of support week. around him, and, and that, that is a bit of the problem at the moment. There, there's not much around him, and um, look, St George are always they're obviously a proud club and have got some guys that can can seriously play. So. Oh, that, that, you're right. That will be a um, a really interesting game to see what happens there. But um, there's a lot of competitiveness in both those sides, so it, it should be a really good one. That one. And uh, yep, St George are there for the taking. If you're going to beat them without Henriques, without uh, uh, Copeland, without Patterson, um, a lot relies on Ortiz and Stapleton to get them over the line. Now, down the road at Glen McGrath Oval, another side that has been affected by players leaving the the Big Bash and. Steve Smith uh, going off and getting injured in the BPL. Sutherland hosts the defending Premier's Parramatta, and boy, haven't the defending Premier's found uh, life interesting trying to defend their title for the first time in 50 years, allowing for Nick Burtis's bucket load of runs. Yeah, well, I think you spoke about Burtis before. He's, um, well, I think it's ludicrous that he's not playing for New South Wales at the moment. He's yeah, you talk of 750 runs in first grade. He's actually got, if you count his T20 runs, he's actually got close to 970 runs, and it's just in February. It's a, it's an amazing record, and yeah, he, he's the way he's led that team has been outstanding. That they've run into a bit of, um, bit of a tough patch at the moment, Parramatta. But um, yeah, look, I, I think Burtis is a, a serious player and um, a player that's got something to prove. And when you have something to prove it usually takes you to the next level so um yeah i think Parramatta will be um pretty strong there now at tremoyne oval the sydney tigers will look to consolidate or get uh, back in that finals contention where they take on a hawkesbury side which uh, have had their ups and downs this year 
Um, but knowing the two captains involved, Nick Money Bills and Peter Forrest, it'll be uh, no shortage of competitiveness. Yeah, it will. Uh, I think Sydney are a, a great side, and Sydney have got some some serious players. They've got some. Um, I think they're the only comp- the only team in the competition that can field five um, county cricketers um, and get away with it. So um, <laughs> they've done uh, they've done well there. So. But they've got some, some serious play, and they're playing some great cricket. I think they put 380 on Manly last week. So, um, yeah, I think uh, with Forrest and Hawkesbury looking up, I think it's going to be a, a really tough challenge for them. But, uh, yeah, I think Sydney will win that one. And the last match of the round, I think, is the uh, match of the round. If you're going to pick one uh, match of the round, it has to be the, uh, the top two sides at University Oval, number one. Sydney University with Nick Larkin in their side. He's been allowed to come back uh, and play, uh, taking on Penrith, who have been in great form since Christmas. Yeah, this would be a great game to watch, actually. It's, um, it, it, I think it's going to be a bit of a preview for what's to come. Um, with Nick Larkin coming back, he's been in, in great form, and um, it'll be really interesting. Penrith are a, a strong side, and I think, um, yeah, they're, they're bowling units a bowling unit that can win the comp so um, it's going to be really interesting to watch uh, we're pretty happy that these two guys are playing each other now so we're hoping one of them slip up or obviously one of them, one of them are going to slip up and hopefully then slide out of the top top spot and out of the top three and push us in so uh, I think Sydney Uni might get this one I think Nick Larkin's runs are going to be uh, quite the key. Now, before we let you go, because you want to get yourself nicely prepared for whatever happens at Bear Park over the next couple of days, what can we expect? Uh, the usual good batting deck at uh, Bear Park this weekend? Yeah, look, I think so. I think the North Sydney Oval is a, a beautiful wicket. It's probably one of the best, obviously one of the best wickets in the competition. And there's a bit there. They obviously they leave a lot of grass on it, so there is some movement. Um, it's probably up with that and Dremoyne Oval is probably the, the two wickets that um, look more the most like first-class wickets. So there's enough there for the bowlers. With a bit of rain around, I'm sure it'll be a tough first session. But, uh, yeah, it's all, I always love batting at North Sydney Oval. Uh, I can't kid anyone to say that I'm not looking forward to batting. So... Uh, one of the two days we'll get a stick in the hand. It'll be good fun. Indeed, indeed. Now, you've mentioned that uh, um, a lot of these players in this club haven't had the experience of trying to get into finals, let alone finals campaigns before. So how important is it for uh, the likes of yourself and James and the experienced guides to, to lead the... and the Aitken brothers who have been around forever and a day mm. at that club uh, to lead some of these youngsters into the uncharted waters that lie ahead in this next couple of months? Yeah, I, I think any uh, any great side that's, that's worth anything has their senior players sort of step up at this time of, time of year. We've obviously we've got a great coach in Jason Crazier and um, it's just a really good feel at the moment. The boys are, boys are excited, but they're not, um, they're not taking a foot off the gas, which is what it's about because, um, yeah, it's still, a, it's still a process and, and the guys are going through it and... Um, yeah, we're looking forward to warming up on uh, on Saturday morning, and that's that's the way we look at it. We, we look at the next thing. The eyes are always on. The whole reason we play is to play finals and win premierships. So, I think it's silly to say you're not looking at that. But at the same time, it's it's a process, and um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to getting out there tomorrow morning and and winning the first session. Uh, if we keep doing that. Uh, we might scare some sides this year, which will be good. Um, you, sp- you mentioned uh, Todd Harper and Jason Crozier's round the place. <laughs> Jason wasn't tempted to perhaps join Todd in fives tomorrow just to really scare the bejesus up those baby bumblebees? Well, I've been trying to convince Jason Crozier to come back and bowl Austin for us in first grade. Because I think that's a, that, that would be a, that would put us from about third to first, I reckon, if he could cool, come back. It'd be nice to have him, but uh, no, he, he's doing a great job with the in, in the coaching ranks, and uh, he's a sensational coach. And the boys, um, the boys get a lot of his experience and his calmness around the group is um, is outstanding. And that's that's what's happening at the moment down at North Sydney. It's a great place to be. The culture's excellent. Um, everyone's staying calm and uh, but working hard as well. So I think that comes when you've got blokes like. The Aiken brothers. Um, you've got um, Tom Jago stepped into the captaincy role unbelievably as a young kid, um, leading from the front. Ben Bryant um, opening the batting um, last last two day game faced over 200 balls, which is 
uh, outstanding for a young guy. So um, we're, we're going okay. We're, as I said to you guys at the start of the year, we were going to play finals and we're confident about it. And uh, now we're looking to sort of hit the top three and get a home final in North Sydney Oval. So, um, but as we said, the first session tomorrow morning is is where the focus is on. So we're, we're, we're really pumped and looking forward to it. Well, the best thing about your position now is that your destiny is in your hands. You're not relying on other results to go your way. You do the business on the field, the rest will take care of itself. Now, I can't let you go because I know that you're like a lot of us here on the bench. You call things as you see them. And you've already touched on this, I think, already about what gets looked at from those in higher positions about those that score runs and those that don't score runs and teams that get picked um, and team and players going off into the big bash. I'm sure you've been looking at the big bash um, closely and not so closely for this long season so far. Um, you would be arguably not out of place, dare I say it, in a number of big bash franchises considering what we've seen dished out uh, in some games and on some of the wickets that have been served up to us this season. What's your thoughts on the Big Bash in particular? Is the season too long? Are the wickets too bad? And has Cricket Australia burnt the golden goose that uh, has laid all the eggs? Yeah, look, uh, uh, personally, I, I, love, I love the Big Bash, but it's definitely too long. And the thing about having a, a long season like this and when you take games to regional grounds or when you keep putting games on certain grounds it, the wickets are obviously going to get lower and slower and more difficult um, especially in places like Etihad or Geelong or um, the, all the regional places, the places that aren't I guess traditional grounds. And, Maui? Uh, yeah, Maui and, that, and that, things like that. It, it's difficult because you want to take the product out to these places and, and you want everybody to see it because it, um, it is a great product it's definitely too long. Um, I am a cricket lover who's now watching Married at First Sight rather than the cricket. And that's... Um, well, that's saying something, isn't it? That's saying something. It's obviously a good friend of mine being on it, but um, the fact that it's... I don't know what the ladder is, so, and, I, and I won't even look at it until probably the end of next week when finals roll around, because uh, it is too long. I think we've got a little bit greedy um, in cricket and trying to put it... Um, yeah... We've had a good thing, and we, we've just over overdone it, I think. I think it needs to come back. I think we've lost a lot of the senior players in the tournament, guys like Hogg and Hodge and um, these stars of yesteryear that were able to play. Um, we also can't attract the foreign stars because they can earn more money for half the length of time in Bangladesh. And that's it. And I think the standard of cricket across the country is, is hurting because all we're trying to do is put in young kids and we're, we're trying to play 18 year old kids and but then they give Matt Jilks an opportunity um, then they drop him and then they give back to hold an opportunity and then they it, it reeks of um, for me it just reeks of guessing um, and, and that's and that's, it's sad the, the best players in the country aren't playing um, because we're trying to watch a, a glorified um, probably under 23 competition with a couple of guys that are over and Gilks did get an injury in that uh, match in Perth, it's got to be said, and he did bat, uh, but even so... Um, well, that's four keepers that they've had to use for the Thunder. I said, Jay Lenton, obviously... He's injured. Uh, ...ex-Manly player, which we love seeing, but he had to wait for... Um, he had to wait for Butler to go to England duties to get a go, but then he got injured, and then Gilks got a get to gig, gets injured, so... And then backs to Holt. But, but yes. the point is that we're seeing a lot of blokes that would not have played Big Bash cricket in the last in the no. first seven years of the competition, now playing, and the yep. standard's diluted, and we're seeing guys like the gentleman we've got on the phone who wouldn't look out of place, not get picked because he calls things as he sees it and they don't like the shape of his head. <laughs> I mean, I've got to call it as I see it, you know. Is, is, and, that, is that what's happened? <laughs> you look great in Jenna. Yeah, no, it's, right. it's disappointing. Well, you know what I'm saying think, there, don't you? Yeah, 100%. Look, I think uh, Matt Jilks and I think back to hold are very good creators, don't get me wrong. Um, but but, I don't think they've put 1,000-run seasons like somebody like a Nick Burtis has done. Yeah, I um, think I think what you're getting at, Adam, is they're trying to pick a team for three, four, five years down the track rather than put the best team that's available on the park right now. Yeah, which is very confusing when it comes to franchise cricket. Um 
when you look at the Big Bash, you want to win it this year. The best players should play. It, to me, it always seems we're building for the World Cup. We're always building for the World Cup in what three or four years ahead, which is which is bizarre because I believe if my my take on it is if you pick the best cricketers right now, when tomorrow the, is the World Cup final, you've got your best team in. Um, it's it's a bit bizarre that we we're so strung up with age when it comes to cricket. When you see folks like George Bailey dominating, Callum Ferguson dominating. Um, guys that have been around for a long time that are just better cricketers than the rest of them. So they're standing alone with, with a group of kids at the moment is, is my take on it. And by contrast, and we mentioned on this program that women's sport is on the march because they've got the mix right. Because funnily enough, in the WBBL, the best players in the world, apart from maybe one or two Indians, are all together. And they're all playing against each other. The best English women, the best South African women, the best Australian women, the best Kiwi women are all playing in the WBBL. And the proof of the pudding is in the eating there. You only have to look at 5,500 people turning up at 10am on a Saturday morning to watch that WBBL final on the back of two incredible semi-finals the week before at Dremoyne. Oh, it's outstanding, and I think it's it's been the best thing that's happened to cricket in the last couple of years has been the takeoff of the the women's game, and it's um, it's great. I think we've got some amazing role models in those um, in that Australian side, and in and in all the franchises, the way that the girls go about it. Um, I think that the way they hold themselves in the community is unbelievable, um, and there's no doubt that every young girl wants to be um, Elise Perry and wants to be. Um, Alyssa Healy Alyssa Healy and they're all such good players and such good people and uh, it's a credit to them and it's a credit to Cricket Australia and the way that they've they've got this off the ground um, but, just, but they've done that because they've got the best players together they've, they haven't gone down this path of picking under 23 kids as a five year investment They've got the best available players from around the world together right now and turned the WBBL into the IPL of women's cricket. Now, while we can't do that with the Big Bash, we had the next best competition behind the IPL not so long ago, and we've just lost that. Yeah, I, I think so, and I, I think it's um, it, things can be rectified. It's just, um, I guess, a matter of <laughs> whether they will or not is, uh, is, the, is the question, because it's... It feels like it's a cycle of the, the sad. The sad part about it at the moment. Hey, I'm 34 and I'm I'm happy that I'm happy with the career I've had at that level. The problem is when 28 and 29 year old players are being told that they're too old, or the fact that they're not going to look at anyone over 25. Um, and that's that, what that, you're hearing. And that's, and that's what you're hearing right now. That, that's 100 percent what I'm hearing. That if you're over 25, you're, you're extremely. It's going to be extremely difficult to play for New South Wales, um, and that's just plain and simply wrong. Um, and that's what's hurting Australian cricket. Um, but nothing. The players are all doing what they do, and players get picked. That's outstanding, and it's never the player's fault that gets picked. And, and I feel sorry for some of the guys that um, cop a bit of grief. Uh, a good, good friend of mine, Jack Edwards, has played this year um, and has copped unfair criticism. Um, but he's 18, 19 years of age. What do you expect? Yeah. And, and and he's a kid who's a very good cricketer that they've they've rushed him in and they've potentially hurt him so it's um i just think it's the whole thing needs to be looked at um but again not many people listen to me they'll keep doing what they do so it's um it'll be interesting to see if we can can rectify it and can um yeah keep picking these guys when they're 31 and 32 because they are the best cricketers because these kids give up their life to be professional cricketers they they train from the age of 16 at a at a high level but as soon as you're 24, you're done. And it's, it's, it's sad because it's not AFL football. You don't have to be 30 and gone. It's, we see, like, George Bailey and Callum Ferguson are the two, in my opinion, the two best batsmen in the country. And they're playing big bash cricket, which is great. The fact that they're not in the test side is, is mind-boggling. Um, I'm not sure that um, any one of the top six, um, bar maybe Usman Khawaja, can could say that they're a better player than George Bailey and Callum Ferguson. So it's a... Um, especially the way Callum Ferguson opinion. especially the way Callum Ferguson played in Perth the other night. He looked absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, and that's it. But if people would have watched Ferg, and I've been a teammate of his, he does that every second week. Um, it's just that not a lot of people um, take notice of uh, 
of skilled cricket. And you, they, a lot of people use statistics as a um, in the wrong way. They look at overall career stats and the fact that overall career stats for Callum Ferguson, for instance, would be he probably averages 41 or 42 in first-class cricket. But they, people, they don't into account all the injuries that he's had that killed his career at the critical moment. 100%. Injuries and the fact that he played when he was it was too young and he had three or four years of, of averaging 25 and 30. Um, so it's, I, I just don't think we've got the, the mix right at the moment. But um, And what disturbs me now is that Cricket Australia's early response to shortening the season where they're going to be uh, paying for increases to the Big Bash salary cap by asking Sheffield Shield players to take pay cuts. Now, if yeah. that's not the wrong message, well then... You know, I'm not here, and that further reinforces exactly the problem you've just mentioned. Yeah, and I think it's, and that's exactly right. So we can't complain if we're no good at test cricket because the investment's going at, at another Correct. sport. Yeah. And then we'll be, yeah. we'll be the first to complain about, you know, we're, we're celebrating the fact that we finally got someone scoring a century in a test match today against a very, it's got to be said, ordinary Sri Lankan side. Yeah, and, and I think that's it. And that's, like, I, I think we, we've almost ruined one-day cricket, and I, I don't think I don't think many players around the country actually think that playing a tournament at the start of the year is a is a great way to do this. But um, again, it just comes back to money, and the, the the business of it is is hurting the quality of cricket, in my opinion. Um, the, the fact that you're playing a, a one-day tournament in September which traditionally before the one-day tournament was a tournament, that was where you blooded your young players in the back end of a one-day season. Um, was when you couldn't make finals, that you then for the last two one-day games, you would give them a taste of, of professional cricket. But now, no, no one-day cricketer in New South Wales, for instance, can make their way into the team because the teams are picked in July and there's one, shield, there's one grade game before... The end of the the one day tournament, the Matador or the ING Cup, whatever they call it these days, some sort of barbecue cup or JLT, some of the JLT, fi- yeah, no. yeah, financial mob, yeah, exactly, yeah. the insurance mob. But yeah. I, uh, the, the 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 biggest thing I get out of it, and someone that I talk to from Cricket New South Wales that will be remain nameless, the the focus now for juniors is T Twenty cricket because. They have more spots to fill for two franchises in Sydney than they spots that they need to fill for a Sheffield Shield side. And that, in my opinion as well, is just wrong because when Australia is... And you see Australia's record in T20s, what, we're like seventh or eighth in the world? Correct. And where's this, where is the investment in the youth going if it's I, all on T20 cricket? I, I don't know. know. Well, we, could, we could discuss this all night, but time is on the wing. Uh, many thanks... For your time again, Adam, we will catch up again before the end of the season and hopefully during the finals. Good luck this weekend at North Thank Sydney Oval when you take on the Bumblebees. Perfect. Thank you, guys.